I want to speak to you about being a father, but I believe it's applicable for every single one of us that are here because God calls us to influence and impact the lives of others. And that is the noble task, responsibility that God gives to a father. The scripture is found in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Here, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will say this. As my beloved children, though you might have 10,000 teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is identifying the broad stroke of what it means to be a father. Yes, in the context biologically, but also he broadens and says, as a father relationally and even spiritually. And the context of this passage is zeroing in on that reality of being a spiritual father. You were begotten by me through the Spirit into the kingdom, and I have the honor and privilege of being classified as a spiritual father in your life. So now, with that broad stroke, it suddenly becomes applicable to every man in here. That you may have biological offspring, but you also can be a father relationally and even more so spiritually that you can deposit an example into the life of another. He says here, imitate me. That sober call of being an example. But an example that transcends just simply an impression or an influence. It's the example of impact where something is indelibly written on the heart and the mind of those that you are discipling and mentoring as a father. And I believe this, again, is applicable to every one of us in here because God calls all of us, yes, to have a life that is worthy to be followed. You may not be perfect, but you must bring to the table devotion, dedication, and commitment, that you're authentic, you're the real deal, that you are truly following Christ. The Apostle Paul will say it in another way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So as I am pursuing the Lord, I want all of those that I'm honored to have follow me as a spiritual father, relational father, biological father, as a person who will give an example to another that when they're following me, they are really following Christ because I've set my eyes on him and I purpose to follow him in every choice, in every decision, in my actions, my conduct, my behavior, my lifestyle, that it would exemplify a life that is devoted and committed to him. Again, I underscore the reality, not perfect. Not a one of us are. We've made mistakes. We have failed but we have learned from them, so we're not doomed to repeat them again, and we can move forward. And again, God's incredible redemptive hand and power. The amazing thing about the Lord is he can take a crooked stick and make a straight blow. A crooked stick. And through his redemptive power, make a straight blow. I remember when I was taking a walk, and I, I said, Lord, I, I seem to be more cognizant of my shortcomings today 
than the areas where I've been victorious. And he invited me to look at a tree, and he said, look at that tree, Gary. It's made up of a, a lot of crooked branches, yet it's a beautiful tree, a beautiful tree. It just spoke to me not to minimize the mistakes or the failings, but not to define myself as a failure and to say, Lord, I want to be the father, a spiritual father, those who I have the honor to mentor and disciple and to impact, that I could be a sage in their life, uh, that I can carry wisdom and then impart that wisdom to them as a biological or relational father. And again, for all of us, that we would say, Lord, I don't want to just have an impression or an influence. I want to have an impact, an impact that presses in to that one's life because I'm authentic and genuine in my walk. Now, here is a picture of a brother actually in our church. He didn't know it was being taken of him. Uh, John Craig, who works with youth mentoring, which is a tremendous ministry. And if you don't have someone that you can mentor in your life, boy, connect with John Craig because it's a great ministry to help young men who don't have a dad in their life. But he was sitting in the back of the service and he took note of this grandfather with his grandson. There's an example. There's a picture to lay hold of, to say, wow, what I'm doing, my children and my grandchildren will follow. Let me lift my eyes. Let me raise my hands in worship of the living God and follow him with everything that is within me. Oh, I want to be uh, sharp intellectually. I want to be socially adept and I want to do everything that God has given me to do in this life with the gifts, the talents, the ability, whatever position or livelihood he's entrusted to you, whatever occupation you lay hold of. But most of all, that you would be the man of God, the father, the dad, that a child, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter can follow and say, I want to be like my mom, my, my dad. I, wanna, I want to exemplify his character and his attributes in his life. So may we lift our hearts to the Lord and may those who follow us do the same. Now the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14, he says this, and he's speaking again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he, he gives us a window into the heartbeat of a father, identifying the maturity that is in there because of decisions that have been made. May we follow in suit. The scripture will say, I write to you fathers because you have known him. It gives that past tense to show there's antiquity here. There's the longevity. There's the experience. There's the depth of maturing because you've been doing this, knowing him. But a knowing that transcends just intellectual, academic, or cerebral. It's a knowing that's from the heart. It's relational. Relational. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. That relational knowledge, experiential, that you're following him, that my heartbeat is one with his heartbeat. I know you, Lord, and I want to grow stronger and stronger in you and then have a strong influence upon those who would follow me. Now, in the New Testament, the meaning of father comes out of a word patir. Now, in the Old Testament, it doesn't deny an association of Father to Almighty God. It just is not as, as um, broad and as replete as we have in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's not a lot of references to God as Father, Adonai. 
Yahweh, the great I am. There's not a lot of references to him as father. You'll just get a little glimpse of that, say from Jeremiah chapter 3 or Isaiah 63, when it referred to the Lord as father. But in the New Testament, a whole new revelation explodes. Jesus will refer to God as Father almost every time he references to him. God, my Father. Now, we're acquainted with the term Abba, Father. Jesus will use that, speak that, in Mark 14 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he lifts his voice and says in the midst of this, Abba, Abba. That's the Aramaic for Father, that it's at a very intimate level. It's Dad. Dad, if this cup can pass from me, so let it. In Romans 8, it will speak about us having been adopted into a relationship with God, and we refer to him as Abba, Father, that, that term of intimacy. But we can't negate the fact that all throughout the New Testament, God is re referred to as Father, as Patir. So what does that mean? When you refer to God the Father, Patir, it's a threefold meaning that you'll find when you dive into the New Testament, and it comes up with these three titles that are given. And I'd like you to apply it in your own life and say, Lord, I want to do this in my life as a father, as a dad. And again, the broadest application for all of us to say, I want to follow the Lord in this way. Patir. And you'll find that in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 when he lifts his voice and says, Our Father, the word that's used there is not Abba, but Patir, the one who will protect and nourish and uphold. That's the threefold meaning that is built into the word Father. So it is an example worthy of us to follow and say, Lord, I want that in my life. As a father, as dad, with those that I have the opportunity to mentor and disciple, biologically, relationally, or spiritually, that I would be a protector, one who preserves life, a nourisher, one who promotes growth, and an upholder, one who provides stability. And I'd like you to picture this in your mind, especially now, the dads. I believe God challenges us to be a wall, a protector. At first, when you speak of wall, it sounds like isolation, alienation. It sounds like you are territorial and, and you're not allowing things to come into the person's life. But a wall is a means of protection. It's not restrictive. A wall is directive and it is protective. And God calls us as dads to provide the wall with strength to have moral character, to establish a standard of truth in a society that's intoxicated with ambiguity. Things are nebulous and unclear and, and they, they ebb up and down and there's an ever flow of inconsistency when it comes to what is truth, what's good and what is evil. And God calls us as dads and as fathers to say, I wanna be a wall. A wall, a standard, a, a guardian against deception, against lies, because those lies will come like an arrow of darkness and penetrate the human soul. 
And sometimes we'll say, well, I don't want to offend the person by bringing light. Listen, when you bring light, you remove darkness because darkness is the breeding ground for destruction and decay and death. So I don't want the arrow of those who I'm discipling, of those who I'm mentoring, my own offspring, my own children and grandchildren. I want to be a wall of protection, preventing the arrow of lies from penetrating their mind, soul, and spirit. And again, I don't see it as restrictive, but protective and directive in my role and my responsibility. But I don't see the wall as necessarily sedentary or stationary. I think it moves. Not that there's a flexibility with truth or progression of truth. It's the reality of that truth and then the application of it being pressed in. I think of in the first century, among the Romans, there was known by historians as the feared Roman wall. What was it? Actually, when the Romans would go into a battle, they would take their shield. We know the imagery or the analogy the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 6 when he says the shield of faith. And sometimes we think of it as just an independent shield. But the feared Roman wall was when the Roman soldier about to engage in the battlefield, he would take his shield and interconnect it with the shield of another soldier. And that whole process of interconnecting these shields formed what was known as the feared Roman wall. It wasn't stationary, it was moving forward, but very intimidating and almost invincible to the enemy because they were united, moving forward, protected by that wall of shields. When I think of my role, my responsibility as a father, physically, but also spiritually, I'm sobered by that. Through the years, I've had the honor of, of being a spiritual father to many. I don't do it alone. I recognize I need the help and the assistance of others to help me in fathering so I can link my shield with theirs and together we can produce that protection of the lives that are following us may we walk in truth may we be upholders of truth and i believe in doing that that we are keeping the godly principles in and keeping the lies out when you realize how destructive a lie is and how society through a variety of different mediums, tries to get that into a person's life. I want to protect. Men, God calls us as dads and as fathers, be a wall. Be a wall. Be a protection. It's built of bricks of wisdom as well. You know, sometimes they say, well, I don't want to be legalistic. Well, you don't have to be legalistic, but walk in wisdom. I want to impart wisdom with my children and grandchildren and those who I spiritually mentor. I want to say to them, listen, I'm not depositing into you the law or legalistic mindset or attitude because rules, void of relationship, is the breeding ground for rebellion. There's going to be relationship here. But in this relationship, I want to deposit into you wisdom, 
wisdom so you navigate through decisions with the wisdom that comes from God. Now the scripture will say this in James 3.17. Now listen to the description that Holy Scripture gives. Sometimes we feel that wisdom is like the accumulation of a lot of knowledge. It's like compounded, exploding knowledge, uh, expansive knowledge and as we apply it to given situations. Well, that can be a definition, but scriptural definition of wisdom incorporates morals, ethics, your mores. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, that's submissive, full of mercy and good fruits. Tell me, is this definition not pulsating with character, righteous attitude, proper moral view of life, ethics? So when we say, wow, I want to deposit wisdom, it's, it's depositing into that life that's following you the principles that God gives to us about the right ethics that we should have in life. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. James 3.17. Wisdom then, I believe, is knowing the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And then the courage to choose the right. God help me to be one who builds this wall filled with wisdom. And the wisdom is the, is the right ethics and morals and principles that I should live by and encourage others to live by as well. Knowing the difference, the distinction between good and evil. Tell me, has that not gotten distorted in our society? You've gotta be intentional, purposeful, You've got to be violent in looking for truth and pierce into it and say, this is what is good and this is what is evil. This is what is right and this is what is wrong. It's not arbitrary. It's not nebulous. It's not ambiguous. It isn't defined with some philosophical construct that makes absolutely no sense, even though it can be impressive academically. When you land, it's like it's gobbledygook, whatever that is. Knowing the difference between right and wrong and then the courage to choose the right. Secondly, be a door. That's to nourish, to cultivate growth as a father, as a dad, with those that God has us influence. And again, every one of you are to be that example. So think of it in your own life and apply it. But promote growth and be an encourager. Now, an encourager doesn't mean that you bring to the table just vain flattery or superficial compliments. It's far beyond that. It is seeing the potential that God has put in that individual, asking God, open my eyes. I want to see in my son and in my daughter, in my offspring, or those that I'm impacting, even if they're older and grown up, Lord, give me the eyes to be able to see the potential you've put in them, and then to call it out. See, the word that's used in the New Testament encourages pe'ekaleo. It means to call out something that's seen. So you see it in that person's life. 
And you speak that. Again, it's not vain flattery, superficial compliments, because it can involve correction and, and it can be very challenging. And saying, listen, this is the gift, the talent, and ability that God's given to you. Don't waste it. Don't let it be diluted or polluted by this world. Encouragement is calling that forth. And then empowerment is to see it advance forward. I want to be an encourager. I want to empower you. I want to be that voice in your life, a voice of truth, a voice of hope, a voice of encouragement, a voice of affirmation to see you become everything that God has intended you to become. And again, you might peer back and say, I'm, I'm beyond those years. Well, God's grace and his mercy can be applied. He can be redemptive. Invite him into that relationship. Invite him into that situation. And especially look for those in your life, the Timothys. See, I, I've always purposed as a believer since I was 16 years old, I want a Paul. I mean, that's symbolic. I want Pauls in my life, those who are older to speak into me. And I want Barnabases, those that I can run at the same pace with that have that challenge but we're at the same pace in our walk with the Lord and then I want the Timothys those who are younger that I can deposit into and see them be shaped be challenged and become the man or the woman of God that God's ordained have Paul's Barnabas's and Timothys in your life the shape of a cross so that you are the spiritual father that he has called you to be. Ephesians chapter four, at chapter six and verse four says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I put this in the context of be that door because you wanna open that up for them in your role as a father and as a dad. Now, when you look at this, it says, fathers, do not exasperate. That is, that's not just a momentary response of frustration or anger, because sometimes that'll happen. If you're a parent and you say, nope, you can't do that, they might get angry. It's understandable. It's temporary. It's like, no, I know you really want to do it, but I have to give you the no. I've got to roadblock that, okay? So that's going to happen in any relationship. There's going to be a level of frustration. There's going to be a level of anger. But that's not what this verse is addressing. To be in a place of being exasperated, is it is more of a permanent, consistent, perpetual condition of the heart where in that child, in that young man, young woman, your son or your daughter, they are always feeling frustrated and angry. It's a condition that is consistent and permanent and perpetual in them. So the exhortation here is don't exasperate your son or your daughter as a father. Don't allow that condition to get so much a part of them that it becomes a very part of their disposition, their personality, their lifestyle, their, their perspective and, and perception of life. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but instead, here's the remedy. This is what you got to do, but you have to balance these two. Bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Sometimes we don't capture it in the English. But in the language of the New Testament, it's communicating this issue of training as discipline. That's when you have to say, I have to lay down this rule or this law. This is the discipline. You know, we're being consistent with our Heavenly Father when we do that. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord says, hey, I'm not going to treat you like you're illegitimate. You're my son. You're my daughter. Therefore, I will bring into this relationship discipline. 
in order to prune you, to purge you, to refine you, to, to sharpen you, to fashion you, to shape you into what you've been ordained to be. But that involves correction. It involves boundaries like a river. A river has boundaries so it can move aggressively in a given direction. It's not a flood. See, a flood has no boundaries and somebody ends up drowning in that flood. You want to be that river. You want to set those boundaries. So there's that issue of training that involves discipline. It's what you're about to do. Not necessarily articulating it, but on the other side. So that it's in balance, he says. But listen, not only train them, but instruct them. That's where there's discipline and dialogue. Dialogue is when you express the why. We have a tendency as parents, though, and this is now applicable to mom's dad, any parent, sometimes you have that pendulum where you go to this side and you're just the disciplinarian and you just bring discipline all the time without expressing any understanding of the why. That can exasperate a child. On the other side, you might just bring to the pendulum dialogue. Oh, let's just engage in this. Let me just explain to you why, but you're kind of like my friend, and if you want me to do it or not do it, we'll just kind of work a deal here. You lose your role then as being the father or the mother. And so he's saying you got to, you balance these two together where there's the discipline of the what, but there's the dialogue of the why. And when you marry that into a child's heart, young or old, you won't have them come into a place of being exasperated frustrated and angry this one makes sense because you feel yeah if all there is is discipline and rules and restrictions they're going to feel like you're a legalist i can get it why they would be angry on this side you think but but if i'm soft and we just have a dialogue and it's more instruction and 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 just kind of a didactic moment of of talking and teaching I'm, they won't get yes they will because deep in the heart of a child, they want the security of boundaries of that one who's more experienced that can say, hey, this is what you need to do to stay on the right track, to be fully fruitful and productive with your life so that your personality is not negated, your identity is not smothered, and your destiny is not destroyed. The marriage of the two being that door and lastly, be a bridge, be an upholder, one who's willing to lay down your life as a dad, as a father. Can I appeal to you not to succumb to the definition in our society of a man, kind of a bravado, you stand up and you be strong, and they define confidence, but it's really articulating pride and arrogance, becoming that tower instead of that bridge laying down your life. Now that doesn't mean you become insipid or weak or you become a mat, but it means you become truly a bridge. You lay down your life so that those that you're mentoring and discipling can walk across that bridge in the security and the safety of putting their feet on a steady foundation. But you have to lay down your life. Don't be that tower of Babel. Remember that tower that went up high, it was exalted, being egotistical and arrogant and prideful and haughty. And what happened? There was no ability to understand. Remember, 
Language, split, divided. What does that tell us? There was no understanding. Someone who's prideful, a dad, a father who becomes prideful and arrogant and haughty and becomes that high, stiff tower, no longer understands, can't figure out the language of their child's life. But when you're humble, it's a whole different story. You're looking to the Lord for help and assistance in his grace. C.S. Lewis will say pride is, is someone always looking down because they feel they're the standard. They're condescending. So they speak down to everybody. But if that consider that position, they never look up to realize there's a higher standard, the Lord, and a higher one who can help them to pull them out of that pride. So to lay down your life to say, Lord, I want to be that wall and I want to be that door, but I also want to be that bridge. I want to lay down my life so that they can advance forward. I want my life as I lay it down where my, my ceiling becomes their floor so that they can move forward as I choose to be selfless and sacrificial. Be an upholder, a stabilizer. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come up now. By this we know love because he laid down his life. Talk about an example of a man, of a father. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for those who are our brethren. May God help us and empower us to do that. Amen. Can we stand together? And I'm going to ask, especially every dad, every father, just to say, Lord, would you pour your grace over my life to help me to be that wall, a protector, to be that door to nourish, to grow, to affirm that one you've entrusted to me, and to be that bridge to humbly lay down my life so it would bring stability to my son, my sons, my daughter, my daughters, biologically, relationally, spiritually. And as God is speaking to all of us, you say to him, Lord, what are you saying to me as a young person? What are you saying to me as a, a young woman? Uh, what are you saying to me, Lord? I look to you as my heavenly father. You're a good father. You're ready to help me. You're ready to empower me and shape me. And I yield myself to you with that. As we lift this song, if you'd like special prayer in your life, if you've never received Jesus to be your savior and your Lord, if you're going through a, a really difficult season, I'll tell you, I think of the scripture, it's familiar to all of us, where it says in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. How do you do life without getting anxious? Well, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, as a good father, it'll descend over your mind and over your heart. 
You might not even have the answer to your prayer yet. You know, I need a job. You didn't get the job yet. The finance, I need a touch in my physical way. But you will have already received an answer. His presence bringing peace to your mind, to your heart. If you need prayer, I encourage you to come forward as well. You'll be greeted by a leader ready to pray for you. But let's sing this together and let the Lord just nail his message deep in your heart and then I'll declare the benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you on this day we can extend to you a happy Father's Day because you are such a good Father. You've cared so much for each one of us. And now may the blessing of Almighty God be upon your life. May you have a deep revelation of him as a good Father, a redemptive Father, a healing Father in your life. And may God strengthen all of us to be the example he's anointed us to be, following him. May the Lord anoint you to be that wall of protection, to be that door of opportunity and growth, and to be that bridge of humility and stability for those who will follow you. Pray this blessing upon you in Jesus' name. Would you say, I receive that? God bless you. Happy Father's Day.